0: Well, here we are again, another Friday afternoon, Green Rush Live show on Pro Cannabis Media. I'm Jimmy Young, the founder of Pro Cannabis Media. And as always, we ask you to like, share and subscribe, not just to the Green Rush Live show. We're here every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Sharp, I might add. But we're here because we want to talk about the business of cannabis. And we always have great guests on the show. And we even have some great guest hosts now that we're rotating in. And one of them is Josh Kincaid from the Talking Hedge. Hello, Josh.
1: Hey, Jimmy. Thanks for having me back on.
0: Absolutely. And I love connecting both coasts. You know that Josh is in Washington State, I'm in Massachusetts. And yes, we are in mourning today for my basketball team. I'll admit it, but that's the only thing I'm going to say about it. All right. How's that? I just, I'm not going to go into the reasons why, and I'm not going to cry in my, my leprechaun soup or whatever. Okay. Uh, um, we're very, we have plenty of, uh, championships in Boston. I feel very satisfied as a sports fan, especially now that I'm no longer a sports caster and every team wins now. Now winning is a We put those in quotey fingers. Right. Um, And that being said, I was very pleased with the season that the Celtics had, even though it ended uh, on a down note. I was kind of hoping and planning for game seven on Sunday night. Um, Morgan Fox is with us and I can see a a still Did he disappear on us for a second. There he is. He's back. All right. Terrific. Uh, Morgan Fox from uh, Normal in Washington, D.C. joins us on the third Friday of every month to bring us what's the latest on legalization and what is a lobbyist. Morgan, welcome back to the show. Can you help me, please? Because we are going to be talking about the job of a lobbyist, how lobbyists work, and what are some of the tricks of the trade, I guess it would be. So, Morgan, uh, thanks again for joining us today.
2: Uh, Of course. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. So, what's your job?
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, my job, uh, you know, encompasses a lot of things. Uh, you know, everything from uh, talking to lawmakers to coalition building to communicating with uh, constituents of lawmakers that are important for uh, uh, swinging to get to uh, uh, supporting votes on uh, you know cannabis uh, related issues, but. Um, You know, uh, when it comes down to it, I am basically just a spokesperson, just uh, switching between uh, various mediums and various targets. Um, But I I wanted to uh, address something that you uh, asked a second ago. uh, What is a lobbyist? Right. And I think that that's a really important question, uh, because a lobbyist is anybody who talks to their lawmakers about what they want to see happen. And citizen lobbying is one of the unsung uh, strengths of our democracy and something that is vitally important to uh, changing the way things are and getting rid of bad laws and instituting good ones. And I think that there are a lot of people out there that uh, kind of they hear that term and it's kind of daunting to them, or they think that it's uh, something that uh, uh, it is done by like unscrupulous people in back rooms, uh, you know, uh, throughout that country, or like you know, in the the dark heart of Washington. But any single person that contacts their lawmakers and tells them what they think and how they want them to vote is a lobbyist, and for grassroots efforts like ending cannabis prohibition, citizen lobbyists, the individuals that uh, actually reach out to their lawmakers and tell them what they think and what they want them to support uh, are absolutely vital. And honestly, they don't get the uh, the credit that they deserve. Yeah,
0: I, I, have, I have some thoughts about that, certainly. Um, uh, Josh, uh, I'd like to offer you the first question uh, to Morgan. And yes, we will be talking about what Merrick Garland, the attorney general, said today, uh, but that'll be coming. I know I'm, I, I knew you'd be happy about that. And yes, I'm very much aware of what he said today. But Josh, go ahead. You can ask uh, Morgan, whatever you need to.
1: Just jumping off that, that last point about what a lobbyist is, if you can clarify, because there's different um, definitions globally. Right. So wondering if lobbying is a necessary evil. Um when you look at lo- the lobbyists in the U.S. look at it as, as a normal thing, but when somebody in Japan does it, they call it graft. And graft is a form of political corruption defined as an unscrupulous use of political authority for personal gain. Nancy Pelosi probably knows a lot about that, but maybe you can explain the difference between lobbying in the U.S. How is that different from graft?
2: Hmm. Well, I mean, by definition, lobbying in the U.S. is just talking to your lawmakers. Um, now, what that exactly looks like, it can run the gamut. You know, uh, whether it's like a single citizen lobbyist talking to their uh, their lawmakers or it's a, uh, uh, you know, a, a mega corporation dumping, you know, millions of dollars into a uh, like a campaign for somebody. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of wiggle room in that definition in terms of how it looks in this country. Um, and clearly we have seen uh, in the cannabis issue uh, a lot of that on all sides of the spectrum, you know, Um Unfortunately, uh, or uh, maybe fortunately, actually, um, the folks that are dumping tons of money into uh, uh, professional lobbying uh, aren't always effective on this issue. Um, You know, you see uh, big MSOs and, uh, uh, you know, groups uh, that represent alcohol and tobacco uh, groups that are starting to get more involved in the cannabis space, um, hiring independent lobbying firms that don't know the first thing about cannabis as opposed to uh, donating money and resources to the groups that have been doing it for a long time, like uh, uh, like Normal or like NCIA or MPP or uh, MCBA. Uh, you know, all the groups that have dedicated lobbyists, that their job is to just work on this issue and talk to lawmakers and try to sway their opinion. And traditionally, these nonprofits have been, unfortunately, pretty underfunded. And we've seen, I mean, this isn't across the board, but we have seen a lot of instances where, uh, you know, big money operators within the space will hire lobbying firms that, uh, you know, for insane amounts of money, really, that will basically just go to meetings with the advocacy groups and then report back to their clients with what those groups said that they've done, say that they were the ones that did it and then uh, uh, keep getting those paychecks. Uh, whereas they contribute very little to the actual pushes to change legislation in this country, uh, at least on the federal level. And this has been my experience. And it's not, it's not uniform. You know, There are a lot of hired lobbyist uh, organizations out there that do a pretty decent job, but you know, why do that when you can uh, donate resources to the organizations that have been doing this for decades and that actually know the issue, right? Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's something that I think that really comes down to a sense of control over the messaging. And whereas like the advocacy groups have very, you know, idealistic and very well thought out uh, uh, plans for how to proceed. And sometimes that doesn't necessarily jive with you know, the business plans of certain like big market uh, uh, clients. Um, and those groups will generally say like, yes, we really, really appreciate your support but we're not going to let you run the show because we have a better idea about this than you do, because we've done more lobbying than you do. Uh, whereas, you know, uh, hired guns in the lobbying space who may not know anything about cannabis policy whatsoever will uh, frequently just say like, yes, we'll do whatever you want.
0: And and, and uh, we'll, we'll leave that up to the imagination just for a second here, because we do have, Um, Some breaking news, as we like to say in the old uh, newsroom business, Uh, I get this marijuana moment. Tom Angel does a great job with this every day, and he seems to have the real pulse of what's going on inside the government and what's happening. And the headline says, Attorney General says Justice Department will address marijuana policy in the days ahead. Morgan, that's good news for you guys. What do you think might come out of this?
2: That's a very interesting question. So just to provide a little bit of context, um, I actually got that, uh, uh, that message that was relayed to uh, a senator that I've been speaking with um, in response to a, uh, a question for information or a question for response in a uh, recent hearing that was specifically asking uh, when and if or if and when uh, the um, Uh, the DOJ was planning to reinstate officially uh, the Cole and Wilkinson memos, which, uh, you know, as your listeners probably know, uh, provided uh, guidance to federal prosecutors not to use uh, DOJ resources to go after uh, anybody, whether it's like, you know, medical or adult use uh, that was in compliance with state laws. And the Wilkinson memo was much more directed towards uh, like tribal authority. Um, And so the question was very clear, like, You've stated that these are your policies, but we have yet to see an actual official reinstatement of these as policy. Uh, And now let's take a step back. These are policies and not laws. So like while they may be guidance and they will provide a lot of assurance to people that they're not going to get messed with by DOJ, they don't have the force of law. However, they do provide a lot of uh, peace of mind for people that are operating under uh, state legal cannabis uh, systems or under uh, tribal systems. And uh, the fact that these have not been officially reinstated, despite Merrick Garland previously stating that uh, he was not in favor of using DOJ resources for that kind of enforcement, and that he thought it was a waste of time, much the same way that uh, federal prosecutors, after Jeff Sessions' Uh, rescinded the Cole memo, Uh, you know, we saw that federal prosecutors continued as they were because they knew that it was a waste of money and resources to go after these uh, state legal operators. Um, There's still something about having that as official policy that is uh, a really big deal. And, uh, you know, while the response from uh, DOJ to uh, uh, this question was not necessarily, uh, you know, it, it it didn't say exactly what they were going to be coming out with in the next couple of days. So, I mean, it could be that they're going to be officially reinstating the Cole memo or the Wilkinson memo. It could be that they're just going to release a bunch of internal studies. It could be something else entirely. We don't know. And, you know, in the coming days could mean anything from now till like, you know, election day, right? Right. Uh, We don't know exactly what it means, but The fact that they were telling a U.S. senator that they are going to be making some sort of an announcement about cannabis policy at the very least indicates that they're looking at it heavily. And given the fact that the Biden administration has really not been proactive on this issue at all, um, and traditionally, DOJ and other federal agencies like that kind of wait for leadership from the top in order to make any sort of like serious pronouncements about uh, federal policy, at least in terms of what they're going to be using resources on, uh, if they're actively studying this and are preparing to release something and no matter what it is, I think that's a really good sign that um, either the administration is starting to come around and look at this issue a little bit more carefully and starting to bump it up on the priorities list, or uh, federal agencies are doing so uh, unilaterally in a, a vacuum of leadership because they realize that the, the status quo is untenable.
0: Right. And, and, you know, I, I like I liken this to a tease there, they, they, you know, as soon as I mentioned this little item, this news item, you were you were excited about it because the the cannabis community is so anxious for movement on this issue that any positive sign from the government is a good thing. Is that why you were kind of excited about that,
2: Morgan? Well, I mean, I'm excited about it because of the reasons I just stated. I mean, regardless of what it is, unless it's something like, oh, we're going to roll back. (laughs) I I don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, You know, I'd be amazed if that were the case. Um, But it's exciting to see federal agencies under the administration moving forward. Whereas, you know, up until very recently, like Congress was really the only ones moving forward. And, um, you know, they've had uh, roadblocks that we've discussed on previous shows. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that we can expect something. Uh, I don't know what that something is gonna be. And I mean, uh, you know, maybe my uh, excitement will be tempered heavily once we actually see what comes out. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, Uh, forward progress is good. And, uh, you know, uh, the fact that uh, DOJ is actually actively looking at this issue, or at least they say they are, is a really good sign.
1: Yeah. Are they actively looking though? Because I don't want to diminish your your role in your industry. I have a hard time hearing like, oh, the government is being proactive. I don't believe that at all. What I see is a 2000% ROI on lobbyists And anything the government does is a result of money. So either they're seeing the revenue side or they're being pushed by lobbyists. I don't think the Department of Justice um, is going to move on their own. I think the prison guards and the publicly traded prison system is pushing against it. That means that even more money from lobbyists is getting them to move anywhere. There's a 20,000% ROI, not on average, but for a lot of uh, lobbyists, a lot, of, a lot of folks who pay for lobbyists get a massive return on their investment. So from my standpoint, I don't see government officials doing anything unless money is involved, especially without, um, like you said, without the administration pushing forward. So I would think that it was it's nothing but lobbyists.
2: Well, I mean, again, uh, I'm very skeptical about that return on investment when it comes to cannabis lobbying outside of uh, putting that money into advocacy groups uh, because I honestly just don't see it. And like I said, I've seen these lobbyists just parrot back what the advocate groups are saying to their clients. So uh, I'm curious where you're getting that figure, but that's besides the point. Um, I think that what DOJ is responding to is uh, uh, the uh, massive influx of uh, pressure from uh, state authorities, whether they be regulators or attorney generals or governors or mayors associations, that the status quo is uh, is not working, and that they want clarity on exactly what DOJ is going to do, because largely, like these, uh, these state-level government organizations are pretty risk-averse. And while they had some sort of an umbrella of uh, relative safety under the coal memo that was a little bit more official, even though it didn't have the, uh, the strength of law, uh, the fact that they've been operating in a relative vacuum since then, even in a relative vacuum that has not seen crackdowns. Uh, They want something that's a little bit more solid, and the pressure is mounting for that. And we're also seeing that uh, in the appropriations discussions, where, uh, you know, folks like uh, uh, Senator Schatz are uh, actively pushing for amendments to uh, the uh, the appropriations bills that would force the DOJ to clarify their statements. And so it makes sense to me that under that sort of pressure, they would want to do so uh, uh, preemptively in order to kind of avoid that sort of, uh, uh, you know, black eye of being pushed into it.
0: Hey, can I, can I ask a question? I mean, you know, you guys know I have a sports background. I'd really like to know what are the top 10 uh, lobby groups. And as far as money goes, how much money uh, goes in to the, the, the cannabis cause in Washington DC versus let's say tobacco and alcohol versus Uh, the drug world because like every commercial every morning news is another drug you know Uh, and uh, where where is cannabis are you guys even in the top 10 as far as like money look at josh he's already saying no they're not jimmy uh morgan so tell me enlighten me a little bit about where you guys are because we do know that money is part of our society it is part of our politics it always has been and sure enough on our comment section we got a guy saying the mso's are doing mafia style corporate corrupt corporate corruption now they're an easy target morgan the msos i get it but they still have money and they have gotten this industry off the ground so again money does play a big role whether you're trying to change policy or just operate under a capitalist society
2: well when, when you're talking about money and particularly when you're talking about influence um you know, the money that is spent on lobbyists uh, doesn't go to uh, elected officials or to candidates. PAC money goes to them, um, which is why I think it's really important. And something that has, uh, you know, kind of fallen by the wayside when it comes to cannabis policy reform is that there aren't enough people uh, really uh, giving to PACs that are trying to get pro-cannabis reform uh, electeds uh, or pro-cannabis uh, candidates elected. And, you know, likewise to punish people that vote against them by, you know, promoting their uh, their opponents. Uh, so, you know, you can dump millions of dollars into uh, into lobbying and uh, the, the candidates that you're talking to aren't going to see a single dime of that. So I think that, you know, people really need to think about exactly how these systems work.
0: So how do they work, Morgan? <laughs> I mean, look, look, I'm familiar with the graph that all those college sports around let's just use that as an example um are, you know are people getting paid off what tell me how money dictates policy
2: well i mean again man, it's like it, cannabis is not a big lobby either in terms of lobbying expenditure or in terms of pack or campaign expenditure it's very very small um that being said, uh, it has the potential to get a lot bigger if people would be like, especially consumers individually would be more actively involved in politics. Um, you know, anybody that's ever gotten busted for weed even if on the local level should be given at least a couple of bucks to uh, uh, people that are working to stop that from happening or to, uh, you know return their, uh, their civil protections uh, that they may have lost because they have a criminal record. Um, You know, even if it's just a dollar or two. But, you know, the uh, there is a definite dichotomy between like the amount of money that you spend on lobbying efforts, which a lot of it is just making sure that you have smart people that are actively working on the issue and are really talking to uh, lawmakers on a regular basis and providing them with the information that they need to either change their minds or support their supportive positions. And help them convince other lawmakers to change their minds, uh, versus uh, money that's going directly to candidates or uh, elected officials, which uh, comes through PACs. There's a huge dichotomy between there that I think a lot of people don't realize. Yeah,
0: well, this is why we're devoting the next couple hours to this discussion, just to see how this whole. I need to be enlightened on how this whole thing works. But I loved your opening comment about citizen lobbyists and taking back the democracy that has been uh, taken away from people, for instance, whenever there's a ballot question, you know, those that are against the ballot question, look for a legal reason to knock that ballot question out. And I'm obviously thinking about the governor from South Dakota on on this one, how as a citizen journalist, or a citizen um, lobbyist, excuse me, uh, a citizen lobbyist, how do I pick up the phone and call Christy Nome and tell her what an absolute idiotic thing that she just did? I mean, I can't do that. She doesn't give a damn what I think in Massachusetts. I'm never going to vote for her. Do I call people in her district and try to convince them to make that call?
2: So at a very basic level, um, constituent outreach to lawmakers, you can do through either like their individual web pages. They all have forms and they ha- also have uh, phone numbers for both their district and their local offices. So you can just call them up and strike up a conversation. And uh, they really do take a uh, constituent outreach seriously, uh, you know, to greater or lesser extents. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest, uh, you know, there are uh, like lawmakers that I've uh, tried to get in touch with that are just straight up like, if you're not a constituent, I'm not interested. Uh, but what some of organizations like Normal do are we provide people with tools to be able to activate themselves as constituent lobbyists a lot easier. You know, We provide forms for them to be able to contact their, uh, their lawmakers very easily. We provide uh, you know, pre-written letters that then they can tweak to, uh, to their needs. Uh, we let them know when is the best time to hit them on various things and provide them with the contact information. But at you know a very base level, all you gotta do is pick up the phone or write an email or fill out a, a, a contact form. And, you know, while one voice might not be enough to bend the needle, when you get enough people together, then it's saying the exact same thing or saying something similar, they really start to take notice. And they take notice a whole lot more if they're hearing from actual constituents whose votes they need than from, you know, various activists around the country, right? So just the fact that they depend on your vote makes you a valuable resource to them and, the fact that you have a connection to them because of that locality and because you know things about uh, like where they're from and where they're representing that they probably do as well uh, means that they're more likely to listen to you. Sometimes, you know, it takes a lot of people saying that same thing to actually make any uh, difference, but um, you know, at the very least, you know, that's what democracy is all about. You have an ability to contact your representatives and make sure that they're actually representing what you think.
1: And it sounds really lame. I, I've said this before, but when when you hear somebody say, oh, call your uh, you know, call your senator, or your house rep or, or someone in, in your district, it sounds really lame. But the truth is, is like nothing's going to change unless you do that. So, for example, the National Association of Realtors spent forty four million dollars on lobbying last year and the beneficiaries of those are going to be like BlackRock who are buying literally tens of thousands of single family homes. Goldman Sachs went into Florida and bought an entire neighborhood. So I'm at my wits end. So I'm going to call my local folks, my uh, uh, house rep and Senator in Washington state and complain because I can't be the only one enough is enough. When people are literally like, they say that it's only 6% of the entire housing market that they're buying. But the reality is, is they're buying about 60% of the houses that are half a million dollars and under that's affecting the majority of folks out there. So if you're fed up with it, pick up the phone, email, do something about it. Otherwise you're not really helping it. It sounds lame, but it, you know, power in numbers, You're
2: absolutely right. I mean, perfect example. Uh,
1: You know,
2: Normal doesn't spend a ton of money on lobbying. You know, we're kind of a grassroots uh, bootstraps organization, Uh, but we have a lot of followers and a lot of outreach. So I can call a congressional office a dozen times and they won't necessarily set up a meeting with me. I put out an email to our followers who are constituents of that particular lawmaker and they get a thousand emails or a thousand phone calls from people. And all of a sudden they're calling me to set up a meeting. You know, it really does matter.
0: Good, well, great. And and obviously we're here to spread that word. And and here's a thought for all those people out there, whether they be in our chat room or or watching on demand, however this works, every time you take a hit off a joint or a bong hit, Make an email. Do an email to somebody. How's that? Just as simple as that. It's like one email per bong hit. <laughs> what the you hell? You stop at like two or three. All right, fine. You can stop after two or three. Hey, uh, Morgan Fox, as always, a uh, pleasure. Thank you so much uh, for joining us on this third friday of the month that you always do and uh we really appreciate it we wish you the best of luck in the future we're going to take our 420 break a little bit later but that still means if you are partaking at the 420 mark go to the email and email your representatives let's have let's make it happen we'll be back with more of green rush live after
1: this don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got